0: Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit realfaith.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of real faith. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Well, happy Father's Day to everybody. Can we give just a really warm, we love you. Happy Father's Day. Shout out to the dads. Very, very good. We got to do Somebody really loves their dad. Woo! It's usually really exciting for Mother's Day. Father's Day, it's like, woo. You know, but Mother's Day, is like, woo, woo! So I appreciate that. And we love you. It's so good to have you join us for this special weekend where we honor fathers. And I really am excited to talk to you about God the Father. It's interesting that on Father's Day, we think of all of our um, earthly fathers. And my dad, Joe's watching. I love you, Dad. Talk to you in a little bit. I've got a great dad who loves Jesus, gets up every morning, reads the Bible, prays for me. I love him with all my heart. And he's been a great dad and a great granddad. And what happened in the history of the world is that our understanding of fathers was totally revolutionized with one word. It's amazing how one word can change all of human history. Jesus Christ uses this word Abba or Father. It's his favorite title for God. Previous to Jesus in the Old Testament for a few thousand years, God's people would talk about God, uh, but they wouldn't use the word Father on only 15 occasions in the entire Old Testament over the course of a few thousand years. Did God's people refer to God as Father? And it was them speaking nationally, not individually and personally. So it wasn't that, it wasn't that warm and it wasn't that friendly. Jesus comes along and all of human history changes, and our understanding of Father is altogether forever revolutionized. And what Jesus teaches is we don't understand fathers by looking out at our earthly fathers. We understand fatherhood by looking up first and foremost to our heavenly father. And so on 165 occasions, Jesus calls God Father. It's his favorite title for God. He even teaches us to pray, our Father. And the point is this, the Father in heaven should set for us an example of how fathers should be on earth. And the one who reveals that to us is Jesus, who is the Son of God. So Jesus' relationship with the Father is to be for us our example for our relationship with God the Father, and for us as men to be fathers and part of the reason that Jesus came down is to reveal the father to us and to reconnect us to the father in one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible in John 3:16 and if you're not familiar with the verse just next time you're watching a football game look in the end zone John 3:16 is always in the end zone and the end zone verse is for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life and the big idea there is that God is a father and he wanted you to know him so he sent his son. If I wanted you to know about me, the best people I could send would be my sons. They know me. They know my love. They know a relationship with me. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And so the father sends his son to the earth to reveal who he is and to reconcile us in relationship to him. And on this father's day, as we're giving gifts to our dads, I want you to know that God, the father, he gives the greatest gift that he gives his only son. Uh, there's nothing more precious than your child. When the father gives the world and gives us and gives you his son, he's great giving us the greatest gift and the deepest love. And so what I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about Jesus. If you're new to our church, this may shock you. If you're not new, you know, this is not shocking. We're going to talk about Jesus. That's who we're going to talk about. And the point is this, that Jesus reveals to us the father and he reconciles us to the father. And on father's day, I want you really to get to know God as father. To do that, we need to meet the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who comes down to bring the Father to us. Now, speaking about Jesus, some of you know him, and we're honored to have you. Some of you maybe were walking with him, and you've walked away from him. This is the day that your prodigal story makes a pivot, and you return home to the Father. For some of you, this is the day that God is going to save you, that the biggest day of your life is the day that you meet the God who made you. And this is, for some of you, that day of destiny. This will be the most significant day, looking back, in the Entirety of your life. And what a great day, Father's Day, to meet your heavenly Father and be born again in that new spiritual relationship with Him. All of this happens through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to talk about Jesus. He's the most famous person who has ever lived on our planet. We measure time by Him into BC and AD, before Christ and AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. In addition, our major holidays are around Him. So every Christmas, we celebrate His birth. Every Easter, we celebrate His resurrection. In addition, more songs have been sung to him, and we're gonna sing a few more in a little bit, more paintings painted of him, more books written regarding him, and I've written a few myself, than anyone who has lived in the history of the world. He has the biggest legacy of any sort or kind. The Christian church is the largest, longest standing, most diverse global movement of any sort or kind in the history of the world. That being said, many people have opinions about Jesus. He's not only the most beloved, he's the most controversial person in the history of the world. And what I want to do is I want to look at eight things that Jesus Christ said about himself. And to me, if you want to get to know someone, the best thing is just to ask them. You could ask their fans or their foes, but just ask them and you'll get to the facts. And so I want to look at eight things that Jesus said about himself. And I want you to consider what you think about Jesus' claims. And out of these eight, it only takes one to move you over that line from unbeliever to believer, from not being a Christian to being a Christian. So I'll just say it right out of the beginning of the sermon to so be like, what are you trying to do? Convert me? Exactly. Thank you for coming and paying attention. That's exactly why we're here. You know be one of those born again Bible thumpers? Yes, happy Father's Day. Okay, first one. Jesus Christ says he came down from heaven in John chapter six, uh, verses 38, 41 through 42. He says, for I've come down from heaven. Uh, You and I, we all came from somewhere today. We came from our home, Jesus came from his home. His home was in heaven. Those who were present began to grumble about him because he said, I came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how can he now say I have come down from heaven? You and I, we come from somewhere. I come from Grand Forks, North Dakota. Some of you say, why are you not in Grand Forks, North Dakota? Because it's Grand Forks, North Dakota. As soon as we could afford a full tank of gas, we drove out of Grand Forks, North Dakota. And I now have enough money. I, I can afford to take a tank of gas to go back and I'm not. Uh, we all come from somewhere. We all came from our home today to come to church. Jesus shows up on the earth and they ask him, where ultimately is your home and where are you from? He says, I've come down from heaven. What this means is that he is eternally God, that he pre-exists before he is walking on the earth. In addition, it means that he rules and reigns from his eternal throne, even though he comes humbly into human history. And so what Jesus is saying is that, that heaven is my home and I have come down. This is really important because on occasion people will have something called a near-death experience and they will say, you know, I was unconscious for minutes or hours and I got to peer behind the curtain of history and I got to see God or angels or I had some near-death experience. Every once in a while, someone will say, whether it's true or false, they will testify that they got to visit heaven. Well, heaven got to visit us. This is entirely different. And in this, you need to see that this is where Jesus is different than all other religion and spirituality. We don't go up to God, God comes down to us. This is crucial. This is one of the major differentiations between Jesus and other religions. Other religions will sort of build some kind of ladder uh, through performance or works or reincarnation or being a good person or paying off your debt to God. That some way or another, you need to go up a proverbial ladder into the presence of God. The story of the Bible is that we don't go up to God, that God comes down to us. That we could never find God, but God can find us. That, that we are the ones who have separated ourselves from God. Therefore, God needs to be the one to reconcile us to himself. So when you see Jesus, you see God coming down to visit planet earth for a particular mission of reconciling our relationship with the heavenly father. In addition, Jesus says that he's more than just a good man. I became a Christian at age 19 in college. Prior to that, I would have said that I didn't think Jesus was God, but I thought that Jesus was good. And many people would come to this conclusion. They would say, well, I don't think Jesus is God, but I think he was a good man. He would be a moral example. He would be someone who shows us how to love our enemies, how to forgive those who do evil, how to be generous to the poor, how to seek justice for those who are on the wrong side of history insofar as treatment of humanity goes. But Jesus doesn't allow this possibility. So I want you to know that you either need to receive or reject Jesus Christ based upon the categories that he provides for himself. And he's not just a good man. Here's what in fact he has to say in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees. So he's being respectful. And he says, uh, Good teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus responds, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. So a Guy runs up to him and he says, You're good. Jesus says, You're not allowed to say that I'm good unless you believe that I'm God. Jesus puts these categories together because you need to understand that God sees your life, my life and all of human history and humanity through different lenses and categories. You and I, we tend to think that they're good people and bad people. Now what's funny is we always think we're the good people and they're the bad people. And they think the same thing about us. And the truth is we're both right, we're both bad. So God doesn't see human history in terms of good people and bad people. He sees different categories, perfect and imperfect. So Jesus says elsewhere, to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And we have a little statement, even for those who are not Christians and don't understand the Bible, nobody's perfect. And Jesus says, well, actually one of us is perfect. And in saying this, what Jesus is declaring is that you can't call him good unless you also call him God. Because when Jesus says that he comes down from heaven, and we'll look at more of his claims in the remainder of this sermon, when he says that he is the only God, when he says that he forgives sin, when he says that he uh, defeats death, when he says that he opens heaven, if those things aren't true, he's not a good teacher. He's a false teacher. If Jesus is telling us to trust in him and he is not trustworthy, then he is not a good man. He is an evil man and he is not a good teacher. He is a false teacher. I'm telling you either Jesus is God or he is the most despicable and damnable human being to ever walk on planet earth. His claims are so astonishing and staggering that he leaves us with no choice, but to either love him or hate him, to worship him or crucify him, to trust him or to despise him. These are the categories that he leaves for us. So if you're here and you just wanna say, well, I believe Jesus is a good man. Jesus says, you can't call me good unless you declare that I also am God because God alone is good. The third thing that he has to say regarding himself is that uh, he is perfect. Now, this is an incredible statement. And he says this openly and publicly. How many of you would not right now on social media jump on and say, you know, I was thinking about it, I've lived a perfect life. (laughs) And while we're at it, if anyone would like to disprove that, feel free. How many of you would not do that? And if you're on social media right now, I'm not saying that, please don't comment about my life. The one thing I am for sure certain of is that I'm not perfect. I've lived with me my whole life. I know what me is capable of. It's, it's scary stuff. How many of you would never declare openly, you know, I've never said anything that I regret. I've never done anything that I regret. I have no one to apologize to. Any conflict I've ever had, it was their fault. Okay, and if, and if you're thinking that, you need to get drug tested. I mean, you're, you're not dealing with reality. Here's what Jesus has to say. John chapter eight, verse 46. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? What a massive statement. If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Here's what Jesus says, I'm perfect. Let me submit this to you. If this is not true, he's not a good teacher. He's actually the worst liar in the history of the world. How many of you know someone that they're never wrong? Okay. (laughs) Shots fired, okay. okay. How many of you, they never apologize? Uh-oh, <laughs> okay. So let me say this, if Jesus is not perfect and he says he's perfect, he's not a good man. He's proud, he's stubborn, he's religious, he's a liar, he's divisive, he's absolutely corrupt. And he's a public figure. Now think of it in our day, he has, he has a large following. He, he has tens of thousands who come to hear him. Imagine in our day, anyone running for political office or anyone who held a significant cultural position, someone that we would consider a celebrity making this statement. They would not survive 15 seconds with the onslaught that would come against them. But in saying this, Jesus is saying that he alone is perfect. And what this means is as you and I examine our life, we need to come to the conclusion that Jesus' life is perfect and we compare our life to his life. If our life deviates from the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then it is imperfect and as a result, that is sin. And this includes our thoughts. God knows your thoughts. This includes our words and our deeds and our motives. Even if we do a good thing, but we do it to deceive or manipulate or to benefit self, then we've corrupted what appears to be a good outward act with an evil internal motive. This being said, at any point that we don't echo the life and the legacy of our Lord, we are in sin. We're acting in a way that is imperfect. What this means is that the life of Jesus is what a normal human life is supposed to look like. What this means is the life that Jesus lives and the legacy that he leaves is how we were supposed to live and the legacy we were supposed to leave until we ventured into sin and became imperfect and separated from God. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus lived a perfect life because you and I haven't. And the point is that sometimes we, we, some of you struggle with perfectionism. You're always trying to do the right thing. You're trying to say the right thing. You're trying to get everything in order. And if you're one of those people, you're going to drive yourself a bit mad because you're not perfect and this life is not perfect. And even when you try to do everything perfectly, you're going to fail miserably. And the point is this, because we are sinners, we need a savior. Because we're imperfect, we need one who is perfect. Because we have failed in our life, we need one who succeeds in their life. And we need them to trade places with us and take the punishment that we deserve and give the gift that we cannot earn. And this is exactly why Jesus came down. He came down because he knew that you weren't going to be perfect. And he knew that God's standards and categories were perfect and imperfect. So he came to be perfect for you and for me so that we could be reconciled to this father who loves us. This is the incredible story, the true story of Jesus Christ. And then he makes what is arguably his most astonishing claim in the history of the world. He says that he's God. It's one thing to say you came down from heaven that you are good and that you are perfect, but then to say you are God. Now you're putting yourself, not just as the best human being who's ever walked on the planet, but you're putting yourself in an entirely different category, fully God, fully man. You are unlike anyone else in the history of the world and you stand alone categorically. He says this in John chapter 10, verses 30 through 33. Jesus answered, I and the Father are one. Same attributes, both eternal, both all knowing, both all powerful, both to be worshiped as the creator God. In response, those who were present picked up stones to stone him. So they're going to execute a death sentence. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. What what have I done? They said, it's not what you've done, it's what you've said. We're not stoning you for any of these, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim what? To be God, to be God. Let me say that this is the most staggering claim in the history of the world. Among all founders of major world religions, there is only one founder of any major world religion who has ever declared themselves to be God. His name is Jesus Christ. Those who are the most holy, the most devout, the most respected are the people who will tell us that they are not perfect and that they are not God. Jesus alone says that he's God. Now, let me say, if he is not God, this claim makes him not a good man, but a cult leader. That he he is now declaring himself to be God. Now, just imagine if any religious leader on the earth today made this claim. Imagine if, while he was still alive, Billy Graham went one day on, let's say Fox News or CNN. um, And he said, uh, you know, I've I've come to the conclusion that I'm God. We would immediately have dismissed him as 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 a false teacher and a heretic and a cult leader. If any major world religious leader made this claim, we would reject it categorically, instantaneously, entirely. What Jesus says is so staggering, it's so astonishing. And and what some of you have done, you've, you've created a portrait of Jesus that is not the portrait that Jesus paints of himself. He was a good man. He was a psychologist who helps our self-esteem. He's a life coach who motivates us. He's a social justice woke warrior who seeks to help the oppressed and the outcast. And what we tend to do, we tend to decide what we wish Jesus were and then recreate him in the image that we designed or desired for him. And Jesus comes and he shatters and obliterates all of those potential categories and he stands alone. And what he says is, I am God. And let me just say, that claim is so clear, it's either true or false. That's either true and you receive him or it is false and you reject him. And so my question is, Jesus Christ is God, whether or not you and I believe it. My question to you is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your God? The most important decision you will ever make is who you believe Jesus Christ is. The most important decision of your entire life that affects every day of your life and where you go at the end of this life is who you believe Jesus is. Do you receive him as God or do you reject him as God? It ultimately all comes down to you and Jesus. I wanna get rid of all of the nonsense. I wanna get rid of all of the noise. And I wanna make this as simple as possible. Jesus comes to the earth and he says, I'm God. And the question for you is, is he your God? That's the question. Now he is God. The question is, is he your God? Are you going to receive him? or Are you going to reject him? In addition, Jesus performed miracles. In addition to his words, there were his works. In addition to his declarations, there were his deeds. Jesus not only says things that no one else says, Jesus does things that no one else can do because Jesus is someone who no one else is. Here are his miracles. Uh, John chapter 10, verses 36 through 39. And this is right after he declares himself to be God. And he does so openly, publicly, emphatically. Let me just revisit this point for a moment. On numerous occasions, Jesus said he was God. And on every occasion, they sought to put him to death because what he was saying was that he was over religious and political authority. And by declaring himself to be God, he was a threat to the religious and political authorities of his day. So they conspired together in an unholy alliance to destroy him through crucifixion. But he kept saying it. Now, I don't know about you. If I mistakenly said something and it was going to cause me harm, I would correct myself, right? And he doesn't. He never recants all the way to the point of being crucified. He continues to testify that which is true, that he alone is God. And what he says is, in addition to what I say, look at what I do. We read this in John 10. Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Blasphemy is someone claiming to be God. Jesus claims to be God. Because I said, I am God's son. He is the son of God. That's a declaration of his divinity. Do not believe me unless I do what my father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles, supernatural acts of God, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Jesus Christ is creator. As a result, he supersedes and overrides creation. This is astonishing. This past year, the entire globe was trying to control things happening in creation. I don't know if you heard of this thing called COVID. It was kind of a thing this last year. I don't know if you heard of it, but if if you had heard of it, what happened was, is that um, something that was a virus started to infect human beings and take human life. And so what did we do? We made every effort to try and control creation. And so ultimately we shut down the earth. I didn't know you could do that. We shut down the earth. We shuttered economies. We told people to stay at home. Here's a mask, here's a vaccine, here's a tape measure. That's not quite six feet, scoot back. The Pharisees had a real heyday this last year. They were, they were into the details. And all of a sudden, if you ask why, people would say, well, because we, we are, creation is defeating us and we need to defeat creation. Now, let me say, wouldn't it be great if we could just speak and creation would obey us? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like right now, if I could do that, it wouldn't be 117 degrees. I would just say 75. That's what I would say, right? And some of you are new and you're like, it feels hot. Well, it's cause it's hot, okay? Like, do you get used to it? No. (laughs) I mean, it's like, if you moved into a pizza oven, there'd never be a day you're like, I feel chilly. It's it's just not gonna happen. It's a dry heat. So's hell. This is an internship. You need Jesus. If you don't like this, you need Jesus. Because otherwise, when you go to hell, these will be the good old days when it was chilly, okay? <laughs> but wouldn't it be great if creation would obey you? Wouldn't that be great? How many of you? Oh, you would make it rain once in a while. You'd make your pet obey you. Um, you. You would heal sickness. What Jesus does is he overrides creation because he has authority as creator. So there's a storm and what he says is cease. And it ceases because it recognized the voice that spoke it into existence. Therefore it obeys that same authority when it commands it to cease. Jesus causes people who are blind to see. He causes the deaf to hear. He causes the lame to leap with praise to God. He even raises folks from the dead. He goes for a, you know, a walk on the water. He takes a little boy's lunch and feeds a stadium filled with people. He does what only God can do. And what he says is, if I'm not God, then explain to me how I have this incredible supernatural paranormal power. Explain to me how I do things that only God can do. And let me tell you this, Jesus is still alive and Jesus is still doing the supernatural. There are people in this room that God has healed. There are people in this room that God has revealed himself to in supernatural ways. There are people in this room that God has supernaturally provided for and delivered. This is my own story. Faith really began in my family when God healed my mother, physically healed my mother. And she started telling us about this God who has all authority and has authority to even heal. And so I just want you to know that this Jesus, he still does miracles. I want you to know that his power is still available to his people. And I want you to know that as we look into the future and we have fear, our faith is in the one who has authority over everything that we see and everything that we don't see. And what Jesus says is, hear what I say and see what I do, and then see if there is any potential other conclusion other than I am God exactly as I say. In addition to these extraordinary claims, number six, Jesus forgives sin. And he says it this way in Mark chapter two, when Jesus saw their faith. So there's a guy who is sick and he's had a difficult life and Jesus forgives his sin and heals his body. Uh, He says, uh, son, your sins are forgiven. Why then does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming again. He keeps saying he's God. Every time Jesus says he's God, those who are present, they're absolutely aware of it. They call it out and he agrees that he is God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Answer is no one. And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? So here's a guy, he's a sinner and he is suffering. Jesus is going to forgive his sin and he's going to lift his suffering. And he says, I forgive you. And they ask who can forgive sin, but God alone. And they're thinking of, I think it's Psalm 51, 4, where he says against you only Lord God, have I sinned. That all of our sin is against others, but ultimately it's against God. And sin is different than just a mistake or a failure or an imperfection. Sin is also different sometimes than a crime because sin is not just between you and yourself or you and someone else. It's ultimately between you and God. And so when we sin, it's against God. Therefore, who's the only one who can forgive us? God. People always say things like, well, I just can't forgive myself. Let me just tell you, that's not your biggest problem. You're not gonna die and stand before a mirror and give an account for your life. You're gonna die and you're gonna stand before God and give an account for your life. It doesn't matter if you've forgiven yourself, if he's not forgiven you, you are eternally unforgiven. That we tend to live life with ourselves in the seat of God. And our whole world tends to be very self-centered, built on self-esteem and self-potential and self-actualization and self-love and we lose sight of God, that we come from God. We're here for God. We will return to God. We will give an account to God that ultimately our offenses, transgressions, and sins are against God. So forgiveness needs to come from God. You need to know that my friend. And ultimately Jesus forgives sin. And then those who are present, they are not speaking it, but they are thinking it. Who does this guy think that he is? He's doing what only God can do. And what Jesus says is, I also know your thoughts. That had to be a funny moment, (laughs) right? You're like, who does this guy think he is? He's like, I know what you're thinking. Let me answer that question. Like, oh, that had to be a little curious. Aren't you glad that people can't know your thoughts? Jesus knows your thoughts. Jesus knows your motives. Jesus knows your unspoken desires and beliefs. And what he says is, I am God, I do forgive his sin. And by the way, while we're at it, you've got your own. And your sin is that you are not loving me, you are questioning me, you are not following me, you are despising me. And let me say this, when it comes to forgiveness of sin, um, we tend to be, we we live in this weird day. It's just such a weird day because we don't believe in personal sin, but we believe in institutional sin. So we'll talk about all of the isms, but, but none of our transgressions. And we want to think that the whole world has made us a victim and we're never a villain. And the result is this, it's very popular. If you talk about sin, if you ask somebody you're a sinner, like, oh, I'm not a sinner, I'm not a sinner. Now, are you a victim of sin? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, people have done horrible things to me. If I asked you, tell me the people who have betrayed you. You could tell me. Tell me the people that have abandoned or disappointed or stolen from you, you could tell me. Tell, the, tell me the people that have failed you, you could tell me. Tell me the people who have caused the most burden and damage and pain and harm to your life, you could tell me. And if I turned the question then and said, okay, um, tell me all the people that you have failed, tell me all the people that you have abandoned, tell me the people that you have betrayed, you would be far more eager to confess their sin against you than your sin against them. This is where all of us are hypocrites. We want grace for me and law for them. We want to talk about all that they have done to me, but we don't wanna talk about what I have done to them. The truth is, we're all victims. And the truth is, hear me in this, we're all villains. There are people that have hurt us. And there are people, when I ask, if I were to ask them, who's hurt you, they would name you. Who has abandoned or betrayed or used you, they would name you. And so the truth is that we're all sinners by nature and choice, and we all need forgiveness. And I'm telling you that sometimes the reason why we don't talk about our sin is because we don't know that there is a solution. And as a result, we don't want to have some sort of problem for which there is no resolution. But the good news is Jesus Christ forgives sin. That's the reason that Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life, the life that you and I have not lived. And he dies a substitutionary death in our place for our sins to pay our debt of death to God. What Jesus literally does, he puts us in his place and he takes our place. So he takes the condemnation, we get the salvation. He gets the separation from the father. We get the reconciliation with the father. He takes the death, we get the life. He gets the wrath, we get the grace. He says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It's one of my favorite scriptures. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, The great Protestant reformer, Martin Luther called this the great exchange. Jesus came down to take our place and he came down to put us in his place and he forgives. And what Jesus says on the cross is astonishing as he is sinless and perfect. They are murdering him. Because he says he's God and what he does, he prays, Father, forgive them. And then Jesus Christ dies to answer his own prayer. This is why we love Jesus so much. I don't know what kind of debt you have, but it pales in comparison, your financial debt does to your spiritual debt to God. And Jesus pays that entire debt past, present and future. And he forgives you. Let me tell you that apart from forgiveness, you cannot be a healthy person. Apart from forgiveness, you can't have healthy relationships. Apart from forgiveness, you can't love anyone. You can't be close with anyone. You can't trust anyone. You can't enjoy anyone. That ultimately it all comes down to forgiveness. Uh, There was uh, an occasion some years ago, there was a, a mental institution where people who literally had ceased to function on their own in the world and deal with reality were sent. They were going to self-harm and self-destruct. So they were institutionalized. And there was a a well-known pastor went to tour this uh, mental institution. And the lead doctor that oversaw the care of these really suffering and tormented people, um, he took the pastor around and the pastor was quite mortified. People are screaming and yelling and they're self-harming and they're hearing voices and and they're traumatized and they're traumatizing others. And they're just, they're broken, devastated, tormented people. And the the pastor asked the medical doctor that oversaw the facility, is there any hope for these people? And the the doctor said something to the effect of, most of these people could go home and resume their life if they just believe that they could be forgiven. Let me say this. If you have a functioning conscience, you know that there's something wrong with you. In your most sane moments, you know that you're wrong. Now I know everything in our educational system, everything in our entertainment infrastructure exists to tell you that you're a good person. And the truth is God made you with a conscience that is louder than everything else. And sometimes it just screams to your soul, you're wrong. It's your fault. You did it. You're guilty. That, that was wrong. And let me tell you, you need to turn that up, not tune that down. You need to turn that up and say, I am a sinner. But the good news is I have a savior. I don't need to be good, I can be forgiven. I don't need to be perfect, I can be forgiven. I don't need to blame shift, I can be forgiven. I don't need to excuse make, I can be forgiven. I don't need to be broken, I can be healed. I don't need to be burdened, I can be unburdened. I don't need my past to determine my future. I get a new future because of my savior. His name is Jesus Christ and he comes to forgive sin. And I love you and it's an honor to be your pastor, but let me tell you this, you need to be forgiven. And you need to be forgiven by God so that you can be healed by God, so that you can receive love from God, so that you could have relationship with God, that you can enjoy new life with God. That until your sin problem is dealt with, you can't deal with any other problems. Until God is in your life, you are completely incapable of handling your life. Forgiveness is where God takes away sin, He replaces it with His presence, and then he helps you with all of the problems in your life. And so many of us, we're trying to deal with the problems, but we're not starting with the first problem. And that is we need to be forgiven. And we need God's help in our life. And I, people say this all the time, like oh, Christianity is a crutch. Well, if you've got two broken legs, you're a pretty big fan of a crutch. <laughs> and a sinner is a person who says, you know what? I've broken my life and I need some help. And this is where some people say, well, Christianity is too easy. All you gotta do is receive Jesus. Let me tell you, it's actually very hard because it requires humility. It requires you to come to God, not with your hands full of your performance, your morality, your efforts, your works, to come empty handed and say, I am the problem, you are the solution. I have needs and you alone can meet them. I have made a mess of my life, so I'm inviting the Messiah into my life. And I'm asking you to do that today. See, God wants your worst before he wants your best. He wants your sin before he asks for anything else. In addition to this extraordinary claim that Jesus forgives sin, he says that he conquers death. And again, we've had quite a year. The whole planet this year decided that we were going to wage war on death. Did we defeat it? No, No. we delayed it maybe. Let me say this, we can delay death, maybe, but we cannot defeat death. Right now, it's amazing. This last year, the whole world became pro-life. Like, oh my gosh, people are dying. It's like, well, they have been, this is not new. (laughs) Well, we need to spare human life. Like I've been pro-life for decades. Welcome, thanks for catching up. You know, I've been been pro-life for decades. We believe God made us in his image likeness and human life is sacred and valuable. So here's what we need to do. We need to do everything we can to save human life. And everybody whose life was extended eventually will be ended. There are people that are gonna die with a vaccine and a mask. And the truth is we can delay death, but only Jesus defeats death. Now you just think of it this last year, the global effort that was made to wage war on death. And the truth is death still comes for everyone. Every one of us has a birthday and a last day. And we may be able to extend that last day, but not indefinitely. Jesus says that he alone defeats death because sin brings death. And until sin is forgiven, death is not defeated." Here's how Jesus articulates it. Uh, Mark eight thirty one. Jesus began to teach them that the son of man, that is a title that he gives himself from Daniel. And it's a picture of the eternal God writing into human history and glory to save sinners. He must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, religious leaders, and be killed and after three days rise again. Over and over and over, this is just one of many occasions, Jesus says, here's what's gonna happen. How many of us would like to know the future? Wouldn't that be great? How many of you Bitcoin people? You're like, I wish I would have (laughs) known. How many of you people who sold your house last year wish you would have waited just 12 more months, right? What happens is we, we try to predict the future. We want to know the future, but we can't. What's really curious to me At the time that it was written, 25% of the Bible was prophetic in nature, telling us in exact detail what the future would hold. And Jesus, who is God, he tells us exactly what his future will hold. Let me tell you this, if God knows the future and Jesus knows his future, our God Jesus knows your future. And what he says is, here's what's going to happen. The religious leaders are going to come against me. Now this may shock some of you, that we are not trying to convert you to a religion, but to introduce you to a person named Jesus. And sometimes the greatest obstacle to Jesus is religion. It's the traditions and the control mechanisms of of human beings. And what happens is God comes to the earth and the religious leaders, you would think that the religious leaders would be like, welcome, we've been reading the book you wrote, waiting for you, glad to see you. He shows up and they reject him because he does not agree with them. You need to know that sometimes religious people who are self-righteous, who are high control, who are judgmental, who use the Bible as binoculars to see everyone else's sin and not a mirror to see their own, they are the last person to understand who Jesus is and to love why Jesus came. Some of you have rejected Jesus because you have wrongly connected Jesus with religion. And let me say, it was religion that killed Jesus. So you can love Jesus and not be a huge fan of human religion. But what Jesus says is they're going to kill me. And three days later, I will return. Now he is promising that he alone will conquer death that he alone will conquer death. And so the way it works, Jesus is crucified by the Roman state. He is executed. They run a spear under his uh, rib cage, puncturing his heart sack so that water and blood flowed from his side. They buried him in a tomb hewn out of rock. They put a stone over the entryway. They put a guard to monitor it. And three days later, Jesus Christ, who was very much dead, walks away from his grave. And he appears over the course of 40 days to crowds upwards of 500 at a time. And at the time that Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that many of the eyewitnesses are still awake and they're alive and they're happy to tell their story and to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this, my friend, the worst thing is not to die. It's to die without knowing Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, this life is as close to heaven as you will ever be, and hell awaits you. If you are a Christian, this life is as close to hell as you will ever be, and heaven awaits you. And to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, two amazing things happened in history, cause and effect. Number one, God's people stopped worshiping on Saturday, started worshiping on Sunday. Now, all the way back to creation and the 10 commandments, God's people had been worshiping and gathering as their Sabbath day on Saturday. It all changed with the resurrection of Jesus because he rose from death on a Sunday and he literally reset human history. In addition, Christians then began being baptized. And baptism is where we follow the pattern and precedent of Jesus. Um, He was baptized to show us that he was going to die and rise. We are baptized to identify ourselves publicly with Jesus, showing that we too will die, but because of Jesus, we too will rise. Baptism is how the Christian goes public with their faith. We live in a day of hashtags and parades Baptism is our version of a public declaration of an inward conviction. And it's saying, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose for me, and I'm gonna die, but because of Jesus, I'm gonna rise and I'm gonna be with him and I'm gonna be like him and I'm gonna be for him forever. Our hope beyond the grave is in the one who has gone through the grave and come back to tell us what awaits us on the other side. So if you've never been baptized, this is your way of showing that you trust in the resurrection of Jesus for your own resurrection. And just as water cleanses us from filth, so Jesus' resurrection cleanses us from the filth of sin. So what we're gonna do here in a little bit, we're gonna baptize some folks. And some of you need to give your life to the Lord Jesus. Some of you need to meet the Lord Jesus. Some of you need to have Jesus take away your sins so you can be reconciled to your heavenly father on this Holy Father's day. And some of you are Christians and you've never been baptized. For those people who wanna talk about Jesus or give their lives to Jesus or start their new life with Jesus or be baptized to affiliate and associate themselves with Jesus, we're gonna meet with you in the back. And we were prepared for you. We've got towels, we've got shorts, we've got t-shirts. Some of you were saying, well, I didn't know I was gonna get baptized. Well, God didn't tell you because he knew you would just driven right by, and be like, I'm not going in there and getting wet. That's crazy. Uh, so what he did is he waited till right now to tell you. So on behalf of the Lord Jesus, I have good news for you. You're gonna get saved and baptized today. And, uh, and he told us that you were coming. So he said, like, oh, get him a shirt, get him shorts, get him a t-shirt and get him a place to change so they don't have to do it in the foyer. So we're ready for you. <laughs> And we're gonna baptize people and celebrate today. And so let me say this as well. If you know Jesus, you no longer fear death. See this last year, I mean, we wanted people to extend their life. Absolutely, of course. But the the good news is this, the Bible says that uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's an upgrade. There's nobody in heaven right now going, I I miss Apache Junction. There's nobody saying that. (laughs) There's nobody saying that. To live as Christ, to die is gain. And it says to depart and be with the Lord is far better, far better. So the point is this, once you know Jesus, you no longer fear death because you know the one who forgives sin and defeats death. This means that we live a less burdened life. Even this last year, some, I had some non-Christian friends were like, why are you not freaking out? You, you might die. I was like, I'll just tell you this. I know at some point I'm gonna die. And I want to live as long as I can. Like I want to play with my great grandkids. I, I want to preach, you know, my own funeral when I'm 90. Like I, literally I'm going to shut the lid and be like, see you in a bit. And that's what I'm going to do. That's my plan. I want to live a long time. I want to teach the Bible. I want to hug grace. And I want to play with my grandkids and my great grandkids. I don't fear death because I know who awaits me on the other side. His name is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus has got me covered. And as a result, that burden is lifted. Now I can just live. And when I die, I can really live. The most important day of your life is the last day. And if you don't know Jesus, that will be the worst day. If you do know Jesus, that is the best day. And then he closes with this astonishing statement. He says that he is the way, the truth and the life. John 14, one through six, let not your hearts be troubled, Friends in this world, your heart's gonna be troubled. You're gonna be stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, uncertain, afraid. There's going to be some difficult, dark and disparaging days. Believe in God, that's the Father. Believe in me also, the Father and the Son. In my Father's house, just think of this. The picture of forever is being adopted. On Father's Day, I want you to know that the Father in heaven wants to adopt you. What happens when you adopt a child, you go on, let's say you're having an overseas adoption, you go on some long trip to go take the special child that you have chosen to adopt them as your own and then bring them to live with you in your home as part of your family. This is why Jesus Christ came. He came to adopt you and bring you to the Father's house. He goes on, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose. Jesus right now is alive and well. He's in the Father's house, heaven. He's preparing a place for you. He knows you. He loves you. He's awaiting you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Jesus will return to earth. His final promises remain to be fulfilled. And I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do, can we know the way? He's like, I, I put in heaven to you know, Google maps and it didn't go up. I'm not sure how we figure out where this place is that you speak of. Jesus said to him, I am. This is what God says to Moses in Exodus 3:14. He says, what God are you? He says, I am. Jesus says, I am. He's saying he's the same God who led Moses through the wilderness and he'll lead you through your wilderness. He led Moses to the brink of the promised land and he will do the same for you. I am the way, singular and exclusive, the truth and the life. So you say, I've heard of other ways. Well, that's not true and it doesn't lead to life. Those are lies that lead to death. Jesus alone is the only way, the only truth and the only life. No one comes to the Father, but through me. What Jesus says is the Father is in heaven. And the Father's heart is one of love. And the Father's heart is one of grace. And the Father's heart is one of forgiveness and devotion. So Jesus says, I came down to reveal the Father and to reconcile you to the Father. This is where Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Colossians 1.15 says, he is the image of the invisible God. When we see Jesus' love, that's the reflection of the Father's love. When we see Jesus' devotion, that's the reflection of the Father's devotion. Everything that we love about Jesus is a reflection of who the Father is and how the Father feels. I need you to know that the the heart of God toward you, my friend, is a Father's heart. And what a father wants to do, they want to bless and not burden their children. They don't want to punish them, they want to instruct them. They don't want to abandon them, they want to walk with them. If you wanna know what God is like, look at a good dad who's very devoted to his kids and he's a little imperfect picture of a perfect heavenly father. My question is this, are you ready to be adopted? Are you ready to say, I I am a sinner and I do need a savior? And let me just say this to the men because it is Father's Day. Let me just speak from a father's heart. Men, you cannot be a good father unless you're a good son. Unless God is your father, you don't even know how to parent. Unless God forgives you, you don't know how to forgive your own children. Unless you're led by the father, you don't know how to lead your own children. Until you are lovingly corrected and not punished by the father, you don't know how to lovingly instruct and direct without punishing your own children. I'm telling you that the one thing that a man needs more than anything, he needs the father, especially if he hopes to be any kind of father. And I need you men to know that the most important decision you can make for your life and legacy is whether you receive or reject Jesus Christ. Statistically, I, and, and I know this is controversial, but it's true. The biggest problem in our culture is fatherlessness. That's our biggest problem. Now, our biggest problem ultimately is that we're disconnected from God the Father. But as a result, the biggest human problem is that we are connected from our we are disconnected rather from our earthly fathers. Where there are fathers, there is less crime. There is less out of wedlock childbirth. There is less poverty. There is less drug addiction. There is less tragedy. There is less crime. I am telling you that our world doesn't need more government. It needs more fathers. That's what I'm telling you. And what I am telling you is this, that we all need a father. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how mature you are. It doesn't matter how responsible you are. It doesn't matter how capable you are. We all need our father. And Jesus comes down to be our big brother, to take away our sin. And he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but by me. So my question to you is this, do you love Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Have you received Jesus? Do you like Jesus? Are you doing life with Jesus? Are you trusting your eternal life to Jesus? If not, this is the day of your salvation. And I am telling you that the father's heart is that today he would be very well pleased to adopt you and to say, that is my son, that is my daughter. I'm going to forgive them, I'm going to heal them, I'm going to unburden them, I'm going to love them, I'm going to bless them, I'm going to walk with them, and ultimately one day I'm going to take them to my home and they're going to be my kids together forever. If you've never received Jesus, this is the most important decision you will ever make and this is the most important day of your entire life. Thank you for the honor of telling you about Jesus. If you would like to know more and or be baptized, just go to the back. And what I'll do now, I'm gonna pray for you. And I'll ask you to just pray with me. Close your eyes and bow your head. And if you're willing, just pray with me out loud. And I know it can be a bit awkward, but this is the beginning. Dear Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for making me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Thank you that Jesus rose for me. Thank you that Jesus is preparing a place for me. Please forgive my sin and adopt me right now. in Jesus' name. name. Amen. If you've received Jesus, we want to celebrate with you. We're going to throw a party. We're going to sing. You're going to hear some testimonies of transformed lives. And if you would like to know more about Jesus or get ready to be baptized, just go to the back. And I want you to meet some great people that God's done a great work in their life.